I'm Zivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zivyowens.com for updates on podcast guests and lots of live events. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Um, I hope that you have had a chance to check out We Found Time, wefoundtime.com, my new online magazine. We have such amazing essays out this week, and I really hope you'll take the time to go read them or send them to friends or see what you think. And I'd love your feedback if you have any thoughts. All the essays on We Found Time are written by authors who have been on this podcast already. So it's original content and I think it's really awesome. So I really hope you'll check it out. This week's sponsor is Nini's Treats, which is my in-laws crumb cake business. And it is so good. And they had gone on hiatus for a little while and they're back in business now, stronger than ever. And it's the best crumb cake in all different flavors. And you can order it on goldbelly.com. And their brand is called Nini's Treats. Nini is my husband Kyle's grandmother, N-E-N-E apostrophe S, Nini's Treats. And you just search it on Goldbelly and they have this amazing black and white crumb cake and a regular crumb cake. And anyway, it's really delicious. And for everybody who is at home and going stir crazy, um, it will ship really quickly and fresh and you can freeze it if you don't want to eat it right away. So anyway, ninistreats.com or go buy it on goldbelly.com. I'm here today with Janelle Brown, who is the New York Times bestselling author of Watch Me Disappear, All We Ever Wanted Was Everything, and This Is Where We Live. Her latest book, Pretty Things, comes out April 21st, 2020. Her journalism has appeared in the New York Times, Vogue, Elle, Wired, Self, Real Simple, and many other publications. She began her career as a staff writer at Wired during the internet boom. In the 1990s, she was the editor and co-founder of Maxi, an irreverent pop culture webzine. Webzine, can't remember how to say that. Originally from San Francisco, Janelle graduated from UC Berkeley. She currently lives in Los Angeles with her husband and two children. Welcome, Janelle. Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I am so happy to be here. (laughs) Can you please tell listeners what Pretty Things is about? Pretty Things is about two young women. One is a con artist. And the other one is an Instagram influencer who happens to also be an heiress. It's about a con artist who basically takes on this with this heiress and moves into her guest house with grand schemes in mind. And then everything goes very sideways from there. Your guide to how to rob someone based on their Instagram profile was like the most terrifying thing I think I've ever read. <laughs> <laughs> I was really like, oh my gosh, like people are out there just stalking people's accounts and look at how easy it would be just to take anything. Well, you know, what kind of inspired me to write this book, I mean, there are a lot of things that inspired me actually, but one of the things that I was fascinated by was, remember when Kim Kardashian was was robbed by that, you know, in, in France, by that, yes. that group of of these, they were, they were tracking her online. That's how they found it. And I was fascinated by that, that basically like, she led them straight to her by, you know, flashing her jewelry on, on Instagram and then leaving enough clues that they could figure out where she was staying. And then, you know, next thing you know, they're breaking her house and, and robbing her of millions of dollars of jewelry. So I was, that was kind of one of the stories that, that motivated me to write this book. But then also, yeah, you know, my mother, when I got on social media was like, you really shouldn't put anything on there. People could stalk you. And I always laughed at her, but not really because there was certainly a truth to that. I was actually stalked once when I was in in college. And so, you know, there I've kind of, I'm kind of conscious of what people 
are doing when you're not aware, like how people might be watching you when you aren't realize you're being watched. And certainly that's what Instagram is all about. And especially when you have these people who are just out there kind of flaunting their lives. I mean, that's what, that's what so much of Instagram is and what influencing is, is, you know, showing off your best life. And if your best life means showing off all the things you have, how easy would it be for someone to just go, oh, there's my mark, (laughs) you know? Totally. My last Instagram post was about mopping the floor, so I don't feel like I'm that much at risk, right, at this exact moment. But if somebody wants to steal my mop, that's fine. Oh, my gosh. I mean, we're, all, we're, we're at home all the time right now, so no one's going to be breaking in when you're not here. That's true. I know. There was, like, some right. ridiculous report in the newspaper, like, crime is way down. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Like, who's there to even watch the crimes happen, even if they were happening? So anyway, yeah. Wait, can we back up to when you were stalked in college? Tell me more about that. That must have been terrifying. It was a little strange. It was my sophomore year of college, and I just moved into a co-op building. I went to UC Berkeley, and they had these kind of famous residences, which are co-ops, which are like communal housing. And one night, I woke up like in the middle of the night and this guy had like climbed into bed with me. What? I was like, yeah. I mean, he was fully dressed and he was like on top of the covers. So I wasn't like, but yeah. And I screamed and the guy ran out of the room and it turned out it was my next door neighbor in the building. And he was mentally, he was, he was schizophrenic and was having an episode. And I guess he'd somehow, I'd never actually met him. Because I'd only been living there for a month and he had barely left his room, but he had apparently become kind of obsessed with me and they hauled him away to a mental hospital the next day. And then he proceeded for the next year or so to like, you know, sometimes call me 20, 30 times a day. It was very strange. I mean, it was nothing. He, I, never, I never saw him again. There was just that one time. And, but, you know, for the next year, I, I changed my phone number. He found my new phone number. He would call me. He wouldn't actually talk to me. He would just leave these strange messages. But it was him. So that was my soccer story. But that was like 20, oh, a lot of years ago. <laughs> wow. So so is that, yeah. was that like capturing that fear part of what made you want to write thrillers or, or not unrelated or... What do you think? Um, unrelated, unrelated. I, you know, it's funny. I never set out to write thrillers and I, and I actually wouldn't even describe myself as a thriller writer per se. I know that's kind of the catchphrase that marketing uses, but I kind of think of myself more as more of a literary suspense. The pacing is not your typical thriller, you know, but I kind of came to writing these kinds of books very sideways. My first two books that I wrote were not at all suspense novels and they were, I mean, they're page turners, but they were like domestic dramas. They're more, more Jonathan Franzen-y, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I started writing my third novel, uh, Watch Me Disappear. And I was kind of imagining that as being another book in the same vein about a, a father and a daughter who are kind of coping after the, after the disappearance of the you know, mother slash wife and, and kind of was supposed to, I was planning it to be about grief and, and coming together, the mother, I mean, the father and the daughter. And then as I wrote it, this kind of story emerged that turned out to be a mystery. Like, where was the mom? Had she, she gone on this hike? Had she died? Or was she still alive? And then by the time I finished the book and turned it in, my editor called me and she's like, you wrote a suspense novel. 
I'm like, I did. (laughs) That really, really wasn't what I was planning to do. And so when, you know, that book did really well, it became a New York Times bestseller. And so, of course, you know, they called me. They're like, would you write another one? (laughs) Can you write another suspense novel? And I was like, okay, sure. And because I love suspense novels. I love like Tana French and Megan Abbott and Gillian Flynn and all these kind of like, there's so many Laura Lipman. There's so many kind of wonderful, you know, crime and suspense and mystery writers now, um, especially women that are writing books that are like your unconventional you know, not, not, not what we used to think of suspense novels as, right. They, they're, they're a little more, you know, breaking the mold, I guess is what I want to say. And so I kind of took it as a challenge when I was writing this one to really approach it as, okay, now I am writing suspense intentionally. (laughs) How do I write something that doesn't feel like something that's been written a hundred times before, a thousand times before? And so um, I wanted to read something I hadn't written. I mean, I wanted to re- write something I hadn't read before. And so I spent a lot of time kind of thinking about what I like in, in suspense novels, what, what makes me excited, what, what makes me feel like I'm intrigued, but I'm involved in the characters and I want to know what's happening. But I also really want to spend time on each page as opposed to like just find out who did it, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think I got off the track of your question, which was, did the stalker make you want to write a book? But, but, but you actually <laughs> answered like 15 other questions. So it ended up working out just fine. <laughs> and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to miscategorize. I, I feel like I, I lump so many types of books into the overarching term thriller, and I shouldn't. And I know there are differences between the genres, but I think it's sometimes confusing even for me, and I like deal with books all the time. So, so I'm um, sorry for not apologize. Call- my no, 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 it's okay. My 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 marketing people also call it a thriller. So, oh. so because I think it's like you know they when you look at the bookstore categories, and this is the kind of crazy making is like why do we have genre categories anyway? You know, because half of the time you like look at a book and it gets categorized under this very narrow category, like crime novel, mystery novel, thriller, romance, you know, comedy. And, and so many of the great books, the ones that I love and the books that I like to write are ones that kind of break through multiple categories, right? Ones that are like not easily quantifiable as one thing or another, and so as much as I understand that, like that shorthand is, is, is important for, for marketing and for bookstores and for people who are like, I kind of like the genre. I want more books in the genre. And also as the author, I always want to cringe a little bit like, oh, that's so much more complexity than that, you know? I mean, I feel like it's the same thing for the movies, right? There's some movies right. and you're like, wasn't there somebody who won an Academy Award and they were like, well, apparently I was in a comedy. <laughs> Yeah, and really, exactly. it was like a, a drama or something. So, yeah, I feel like yeah, everybody yeah. just wants to dump everything into different categories and be done with it. But yeah. my, my yeah, pet peeve exactly. is with the, my pet peeve in particular is with the YA category because it's <sighs> it's not for young adults. It's just about young adults. Like it's totally misleading. Right. Some of those books are so good. So I don't know. Yeah, and then people come to books expecting something, and they get disappointed when it's not that. Like. You know, when someone picks up a book and expects it to be like, you know, James Patterson thriller, and it's like, a, you know, a contemplative <laughs> story about a family, they get mad, right? Because it's not what they thought they were going to be reading. And sometimes they get excited. Sometimes they, you know, 
they're they're happy to read something different. But people come to books with expectations based on the categories that they're put in, and that's always kind of hard to to, to break out of, right? Totally. So, Even the covers, yeah. I feel like now it's become very formulaic with like, okay, here's my thriller type cover. It has to have these four characteristics so people know it's a thriller. As if we're all like so dumb. We can't I turn know. the thing over and read the the back flap. Like we can, like, I feel I like know. if you're reading a book and you're shot, I, I should stop talking. This is probably inappropriate, but I mean, <laughs> no, 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 it's okay. I'm like now venting all of my issues here, but I feel like if for readers who are out there and shopping and wanting to buy books, they're going to turn it over and aren't they? I mean, I don't know. I, I just, yeah, yeah. Okay. I hear you. You know, I totally do. And I feel really happy. I've actually been, I love my cover and, and my, I've, I've been really lucky with my cover on this one on my last one as well. Cause they're, you know, they you. kind of have a thrillery look, but they don't totally look like a thriller book. So they have a lot going on. Anyway, I love my cover. Yeah. No, I love your <laughs> color too, especially the red and no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Actually, the other day I was like laying on my couch and I had on like the perfect matching outfit for your book. And that's why I like posted about it. I had like this like pale green sweater and black pants on my like tan couch. And I was like, oh, I match with this book cover. <laughs> I'm going to have to start it. <laughs> oh, anyway, well, more about the book. When Vanessa talks about her friends, Vanessa, one of the characters says, when my father died, they sent texts, but didn't pick up the phone. Maybe that was the moment that I realized that my friendships were like the thin crust on a frozen lake, a barrier blocking the way to anything deeper. And I felt like that was such a good commentary on how some friends like do respond and how friendships have evolved, I feel like, for so many busy people. Tell me a little more about that passage. Yeah, you know, I've gone through different transitions in my life. And and every time you go through a transition, you watch friendships fall away, right? Like you have, you move and you watch friendships fall away. You have children and suddenly like you realize some of your friends that you thought we were so close to, like you just don't speak to you anymore. Or, you know, people that you, you go through a hard time and some people can't handle it and they just kind of vanish. And especially, you know, Social media is wonderful in a lot of ways. And, and you know, this book is harsh. <laughs> My book harshes on social media <laughs> a lot. But I also like think that I've created some amazing connections through social media. I've met some incredible people. And, but there is also this certain like shallowness to a lot of the connection there where there is a difference between having a friend who you really tell everything to on a daily basis. You see each other, you spend time together, you touch each other's hands, you know, when you're, when you're talking and someone who you never actually meet in person. And a lot, and I think that kids today, kids today, kids today, (laughs) um, young people today are kind of growing up in this world where more and more the interaction that you have with your friends is spent virtual, is done virtually. And I do worry that some of that is not as deep as connection that is spent, you know, in person together, right? So that was kind of imagining this, this, you know, Vanessa is kind of having these friendships that are all based on surfaces and, and the minute her life starts to go sideways, they, everyone kind of backs away. And it's easy to do because you just send a couple texts and, you know, ghost somebody in a way that it's hard to do if you're actually seeing them, right? So true. Another part of the book, in addition to just like the bigger plot of it, was the backstory of everybody. And I felt like all your characters had such 
bad things happen to them or such sad things or <laughs> and like one after another I'm like oh no this happened too I can't believe it I was wondering how you're tapping in because I felt like you did such a good job of tapping into that feeling of grief and loss and tragedy really that what you have to go through when you experience something like that. How are you so good at writing about that? Did you have, not to pry, but did you have like some trauma or did something happen or or are you just like super empathetic? I don't have any trauma. I mean, I look, I, you know, our family, my family has had their issues over the years. We've all like, you know, had ups and downs, but I've never had anything relating to the trauma that I put my own characters through. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to put my characters through the ringer. And I guess it's, it's, I think as a, as a, as a writer, in order to be a good writer, you need to be a little bit of a psychologist, right? A, you know, and, and to kind of be interested in the human psyche and, and what makes people do the things that they do and how people carry the trauma inside themselves that they experience. And so I'm fascinated by character, by people and how they kind of persevere through the stuff that they've experienced. And so I guess I must make mean I'm an empath, I guess. I'm <laughs> empathic or just nosy and curious about what makes people tick. But no, I've never, you know, I've never had a schizophrenic brother. I've never had a, a psycho, <laughs> a mother who's a con artist. I've never, you know, had a mother who committed suicide. All these things that I have my poor characters go through in this story. No, not me. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right, though. I think all, I think writers have, I mean, you have to be interested in how the mind works when you're delving deep into somebody else. You know, I mean, that's all, what it's all about. Yeah. Really. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Do you, so I, I read that you covered the internet economy during the dot-com boom back in the day, mm-hmm. which I was yeah. like a part of working at a company called Idealab during that time, which was like the hub I remember of Idealab. all these startups and everything. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Yeah. What lessons do you think you could sort of take away from that time as it, as it applies to this like burgeoning Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat and I don't even know, house party, whatever everybody's doing? Like, do you think there's like any warning signs or just anything you're taking, you took away from that period of time to this period of time? I mean, it's so, it's funny because, you know, I was working in, I was working at Wired and Salon.com in San Francisco during like 95 to 2002. And what we imagined the world was going to be like, we had this kind of utopian view back then, right? Which was, you know, revolution, but for good. And the world is going to come together and, you know, speech needs to be free and, you know, and, and yes, some of those things have come to pass and there's been some great things that have come out of the internet that, that we imagined, you know, access certainly has been amazing. Like you can get digital books, digital music, like streaming video, but so much we didn't imagine, you know, mm-hmm. the kind of obsessiveness that, that happens, like the, the way that social media has kind of this, like this, this addictive presence in our lives. And I don't know that I could say that I learned lessons then that were, that apply now because I feel like we're in such a different place now than we were 20 years ago. But I guess I guess maybe the lesson that I, I could apply is that everything changes <laughs> so quickly and the way you think the world is going to be now is going to be completely different in a decade or two decades. And so be careful, I guess, what yeah. you wish for. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like maybe one of the things I learned from watching that whole boom and bust was that like the people in charge don't necessarily know what's going on. 
Yes. You know, yes, I had so exactly. much faith in the people running things that they just understood. And it turns out that they really did, that they didn't necessarily. So I don't yep. know. I don't know how yep. to apply That's, that, but. <laughs> that is a good lesson. That's a good lesson. <laughs> so what's your writing process like? Where and when do you like to write? Well, usually I, I go to my office every day. I started a kind of collective writing space in Los Angeles near my house. Uh, a couple of writers and I started it like eight years ago and we have about, I don't know, 25 writers, I think, that, that share the office, kind of a bunch of rooms in this kind of, this mid-century modern building that's over here in Silver Lake. And I usually go there and write every day, but sometimes I work at cafes a little bit, but usually what happens is I, I get my kids off to the school and then run to my office and try and write until I have to go back and pick them up from school. Um, <laughs> Right now, I'm stuck at home, obviously, because of the coronavirus. But so my writing process now is I'm trying to get up at five in the morning to work before the kids have to be homeschooled. But hopefully, this won't last forever. That's impressive. Hopefully, do you have a deadline? Is, yeah. there, is that do you have to do it? I'm working on a couple things right now, so yeah, okay. I, I need to be working. <laughs> so. <laughs> It also keeps me sane. If I wasn't working at all, I would just I I feel like I need to be doing something. Or I'm just going to slide slide into depression, you know? I, I've said that same line maybe like a hundred times in the last two weeks. <laughs> I'm like, I yeah. have to be doing something. I have to, I have to, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, do you have any advice for aspiring authors? You know, this is the question that always is so hard for me because I feel like everybody's writing process is so different. And I hate making blanket statements about how you should write or the way that you should write. I know that for myself, the process of becoming a writer was about reading and like not just reading, but like reading and rereading and rereading, like picking up a book and and reading it three or four times and thinking about how that book was, was assembled, you know, it's like beyond the, the, the enjoyment of it. Like what's the, what are the, how do you describe it? Like what makes the clock tick, right? When you take the, the front off and you kind of look at how the cogs work in the back. The more you read a book, the more you start to see how things fit together. I used to, I haven't done this in a while, but I used to diagram books mm. and kind of do like maps of books, books that I had read that I thought were, that were, were interesting to me. And so I'd kind of mark out what happens on what page and why and, and kind of look at how it was constructed that way. So those are kind of useful, useful tools. And then, yeah, the only other piece of advice is the one that everyone gives, which I'm sure it's just, oh, you have to sit down, you have to just write, don't be afraid to throw it away, you know, <laughs> write and rewrite and rewrite. But everyone says that, so it's hardly an original piece of, of writing advice. It's okay. I mean, sometimes people need to hear something, you know, the 87th <laughs> time, then it really sinks in, you know? <laughs> right, 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 exactly. I mean, you can hear it, but when you hear how it works for someone else, I think it's much more powerful than just reading a statement, you know, I mean, you can know it, but hearing you yeah. say that this is what helps you, I think that's, that helps. So who knows? Yeah. Yeah. That's true. And just one last question. I just, cause I didn't understand. So how did you move from going from the dot-com era and being a journalist to writing fiction? When did you always want to write books or how did that happen? Yeah. You know, I always wanted to be a novelist. Like back when I was in first grade, literally first grade, I used to make little books and write little stories about my pet basset hound, Pogo. And <laughs> I would bind them into books, like using wallpaper as like the, the covers and have, have pages in them. 
And I remember my first grade teacher told me that I should be an author when I grew up. And I took her advice very seriously and kind of stuck with that idea my whole <laughs> my whole childhood that that was what I was going to do when I grew up. And I ended up working as a journalist after college just because I wanted to actually have a, a job and an income. <laughs> and and being a novelist isn't necessarily something you can start off and make money at. And so I kind of got side, you know, I, I got sidelined by the by the dot com boom. I ended up in journalism, and and for for almost a decade, that's kind of what filled the world and filled my world. So. It was, it was around like 2002, 2003 uh, that I left my job and decided that I needed to like really give writing a go and I, writing fiction a go. And so I went freelance and was, you know, freelancing for like the New York Times and, and you know, a bunch of other magazines and then working on my first novel on the side. And it took me, took me about four years to, to finish my first novel and, and sell it. And then I've basically been a full-time novelist ever since. So that's like 12 years now. I don't really do much journalism anymore. Certainly not the way I used to. I write the occasional essay, but not reporting, <laughs> <laughs> not investigative journalism, certainly. So, yeah. Well, as as my husband would say, you're you're living the dream. <laughs> it's like what every <laughs> it's like what every writer wants is to be able to say like I can just sit here and write novels for twelve years. It's amazing. So anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've been I I count myself as very lucky for sure. I I feel like I've been I've been very lucky. My books have done very well, and I've been well received. And I I am appreciative every day of that. You know, being a full-time novelist has its own challenges too, but different ones, different emotional challenges. But, but I'm, I feel very happy. I feel very privileged. So awesome. to be able to do what I do. Oh, yeah. Well, it was so nice to chat with you, and I'm sorry for our technological issues at the beginning, but this was That's great. Okay. Thank you for <laughs> coming on this podcast, and I'm You're sorry welcome. also that we can't do it in person in LA. I was looking forward to that, but some, some other time I maybe. <laughs> Me too. I know. Once this all lifts, I'm like, I'm going to be everywhere. I'm going to be like, you want to come over? Yeah. Well, come over. Let me come over right now. <laughs> totally. I'm like, <laughs> get me out of my house. I know. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know the traffic's going to be crazy. Anyway. Oh my God. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again. And You're welcome. <laughs> and are we going to do, are we doing, are we doing an Instagram live next week? Is yes. That when, I think um, we have it on Wednesday. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Thank you so much. I love your podcast and I love what you're doing for books, by the way. So it's, it's a delight to finally connect with you. So. Oh, thank you. Thanks for saying that. You're That's welcome. nice. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, have a great All right. weekend. We'll talk more next week. Okay. okay. Perfect. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books with Zibby Owens. Please make sure to sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com to get more updates about episodes like these and also lots of live events. Thanks so much for listening today. Again, please go check out wefoundtime.com, wefoundtime.com for this week's new five essays from authors who have been in the podcast. And also go to goldbelly.com and order some Nini's Treats crumb cakes. They are so good and you will not regret it, although your clothes might be a little tight next week. Um, I hope you all have a great week. Bye-bye. Thanks. You can follow me on Instagram at moms don't have time to read books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. Oh, 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 o